in in the practice of Dhamma, Samatha and Vipassana, calming, steadying, stabilizing, healing, these kinds of suggestions. They can bring in round a sense of some stability, some well being, some continuity. So this is the kind of kind of a subdued healthy self <laughs> or healthy chitta. Vipassana is the insight that um, sees through that appearance of continuity and coherence and selfhood. So the two aspects of practice, they go together. (coughs) The Vipassana sometimes is configured in in later Buddhist traditions, uh, particularly now used in, in t- today as a, as a kind of technique or describe a particular technique or um, you know, we're passing the meditation um, which is a kind of modern coinage of it which comes really from you know from Buddha Gosa and then from the Burmese tradition they tend to focus on, on that um, but in the Canon, it's not used as a technique or a, or a system or anything like that. It's more used as a as a, <coughs> a way of attuning uh, one's attitudes, um, way way one way one attends, almost like a, an attitude of mind, a lifestyle, um, a cultivation, a culture, for insight. Uh, that, that runs alongside Samadha, it's not seen as two separate schools, but really as the same as two the similes of two oxen pulling a cart together, they're teamed together. So it gets unfortunate when people divide up into you know, being Samadha meditators or Vipassana meditators. Um, this means it, it's really quite, gets unbalanced. And often one then tends to, to exaggerate the features of samatha. So it's got to be really you know, totally unmoving, unshakable, blissed out trances, and, uh, and, or, or exaggerate the feature of vipassana, whereby like, every single moment is witnessed, scrutinized, dissected, analyzed, and so forth. You know. So you get these kind of heightened um, <coughs> things which tend to then reduce the practice to something you could do perhaps in a meditation retreat but not outside it. So it's that kind of heightening and specialization which eventually limits the, the scope of the practice and also limits really what, what one, one's mind can tackle because you can tend to only tackle at that level of intensity and uh, a high degree of specification in any particular area of, of one's experience that one can tackle. Generally a kind of highly uh, contrived um, state that may arise through a long period of retreat, for example, or special circumstances. And then that can breed the view, you know, uh, of being a meditator. You know. <laughs> you know. And then 
being, you know, who has to do these things in order to realize truth and so forth. We want more and more of that special stuff. And outside it, well, how can you expect it to practice? You know. So gradually one reduces one's ability to practice and one increases one's demands upon what, what a situation can offer. Um, so this, this uh, you know, it seems to be a bit of a cul-de-sac really, um, <coughs> or narrowing down of something where you know, recognize that the Buddha taught very much in a whole milieu of going on arms round, sitting in forests alone, being with other monks, talking to people, being sick, trying to get some robes together, you know, adjudicating over particular business matters, a whole kind of range of experiences from the very refined to the relatively unrefined. Um, and you know, you didn't hear him saying, "Oh, you know, blah, all this stuff. You know, I can't meditate." <laughs> um, you know, so certainly there's a there's a kind of whole culture in there of of let's keep this thing simple. You know, whole culture of renunciation. So yeah, you know, there's a specialization there. But the culture of renunciation both tends to, by itself, uh, act as a kind of filter for what one, um, you know, for one's arama, for one's dwelling place. You know, where I, how I choose to live my lifestyle becomes my place of practice. So that's you know, a big part of it: renunciation, relinquishment, keeping it simple, um, not following all the high options um, and also um, <coughs> you know the, the point of seeing th- through self seeing through the impressions of self should not become some, something one gets obsessively selfish about you see what I mean? <laughs> you know, one can build up the, the impression of being a particular kind of uh, person with that. So our idea of, of, of you know, openness and flexibility um, seems to be can get lost, mm. clinging to particular states, particular um, levels of refinement, when we're looking much more at levels of, of virtue and and the ability to be simple, keep things simple, let go. So, you know, then that that, that is samatha vipassana. That, that's you know, the essence. It's like that because one relinquishes what's necessary. One sees the value of that. You know, this is calming stabilizing and also uh, it, it works against those currents that tend to the proliferating currents, the papancha which tend towards heightening and etching in uh, my self-view the number of you know, choices I make in a day 
number of things I seek in a day, number of things I can't put up with in a day. You know, the more one inks in and, and all this fine detail of things, then the more distinctive one's uh, self-impression becomes, you know, the more particular I get. And, um, and so this, you know, this certainly this whole cultivation of not being that particular know it is is in line with samatha and uh, it is is an attitude that is the basis for vipassana we look into conditions as they arise and, and release them rather than you know fondle them get involved with them resist them. I mean, this is the, this is the general cultivation. <coughs> and of course, it takes time because of the immense energetic build-up uh, and the volitional drive and encouragement uh, into being highly particular. Um, And also what can, so you've got this, it's like a build-up of charge, if you like, in that way, into, into this particular channel, being highly particular. So when, when maybe that is something that is not, you know, when we have to live in a routine, for example, and be more uniform, then, then there is a lot of uh, charge that goes against that, or is, um, you know, there's a resistance impression there. You know, because of this kind of build-up of pattern, and it's not entirely, not entirely, uh, you know, deliberate. It's almost like, you know, this is what we have to experience. That, you know, it's not something we decide. I'm going to be different, but if one feels it, we're kind of restless and got to do and got to have and all that. And so, you know, particularly in long retreats. I can get into the filling up the spaces in the day, little things to do. Um, and some of these things make sense and some of them don't make much sense. But, uh, you know, one can make uh, they're important things to do because they're necessary, or they're not important things to do, so it's good to be playful, or, <laughs> or, or we think about, because it could, something could happen in the future, so we better prepare for that, or it's tidying up something happened in the past, or you know whatever. I mean, and there's a without being kind of too um, sort of pejorative about it all. This is something that certainly I experienced myself, and uh, have to resist, and don't always resist, um, because there's a lot of energy there, and um, the kind of restlessness of the mind. Um, so letting go is, is really, you know, decades of practice of being able to do it. And then there's also the letting go of that. <laughs> I think Lumpur Chan said, like, you know, being, being a summoner is, 
is knowing you're supposed to let go, but 90% of the time not being able to do it. You know, and you have to let go of the impression that that brings up, you know, the feeling of frustration at one's compulsiveness. Mm. Mm. But certainly when one has a, a, a formed situation, it's good to try to keep to the, to the <coughs> clarity of that, you know, like the daily routine, just keep to the clear edges of that and try to leave the gaps, gaps, there's gaps, and, you know, little bits of gaps and just let the mind, you know, gape for a while and you can you probably feel it flurry around and, and something, you know, remember something, think something, plan something, do something. See if I can just kind of open one's attention very widely and let it all just throb, you know. <laughs> and breathe out, you know. Breathe so if we're, again, you know, if we're aiming to be highly composed and tranquil all the time, uh, you know, aim too high perhaps, because it's not always that way. When these conditioned energies, these conditioned habits break loose, then, you know, one's standards of calm have got to be a bit more flexible, like, well, I, I am sort of not climbing up the wall, I'm not screaming, I'm not um, you know, running around in circles, I'm not doing anybody any harm. <laughs> uh, and I just, you know, I'm actually just containing this and breathing it out, feeling it and breathing it out, breathing it and breathing it out, holding it in the body, walking up and down. And perhaps having to bear with that uncomfortable, restless, itchy feeling. Mm. And with that, it's important to be able to get enough uh, distance, enough space around it. If you get too close up, then the intensity increases. So being able to create enough psychological room, emotional room around the, the, the jangle, uh, which one doesn't understand why it's happening. You know, and it doesn't seem to be able to be controlled. Just getting enough room around it. And until it like the wind, it blows out. So, uh, you know, quite a good amount of practice is just weathering through mm. these these um, cyclones. They come up, just weathering through, lowering the lowering the sails, um, you know, riding the anchor. Splicing the main brace, just weathering, weathering through. Without making a self out of it. It's just these, this is it, you know, these are the conditions. Naturally, you know, where um, the self impression begins to take hold is in the, the emotional center, the emotional layers of, the, of experience, so, you know, it's, we can have that sense of if uh, the body may feel kind of overcharged or restless, fidgety, and then the mind starts to get moving, and then there can be an emotional irritation or excitement, mm. so you get these different kind of layers 
of, of the experience and it's the, the emotive level it starts to become much more me mm. and then letting go is, is quite difficult so uh, you know it's what one needs to have that uh, resource of uh, emotional presence that's actually is emotional you know, to the same family if you like as as the as the uh, um, condition as as that particular afflicted condition it's of the same family so it's in the same territory and yet it's emotion so it's emotional or it's emotive but instead of being um, jumpy or surging it's just spacious receptive caring you might say you know, say it's like loving you know which is a heart experience but it's a loving that's not attraction so much as just that ability to to nurse something that's really quite fretful just that nursing quality and there's a certain uh, breadth of attention that goes along with that there's an emotive breadth to that emotional breadth to that yeah. so excitement is quite close up when you get to details but the, the quality of that uh, serenity is much wider emotional span and the ability to receive impression you know, and let it surge and, and roll and run through. Mm. Now that certainly, you know, helps to to steady and calm. Mm. So uh, calming through that, not through trying to stop it, but through creating enough room to hold to weather through. Now some of these, um, you know, this very kind of process of um, relate, relating to, to the conditions in this way is all part of the cultivation of, of insight mm. or vipassana so then the various terms that are connected to that the cultivation of insight technical terms anicca uh, viraga, uh, nibida, um, niroda, or sometimes wasaga, or sometimes patinitsaga. And we see some of these in the Anapanasati Sutta, the fourth tetrad, which is the insight um, code, coda, that, that works in relationship with the other three tetrads, depending on you know, how one's cultivated. It could be in terms of body, the first tetrad, or the um, mental activity, uh, emotional activity or mental activity, second tetrad, or, or um, a mind itself, or awareness, sensitivity itself, a third tetrad. But, and then this fourth one works, uh, you know, gears up to those. So as we contemplate in the body, then whatever bodily conditions, experiences, sensations, energies, ups, downs, rounds and rounds are experienced. Um, are to be whether they, they are skillful or unskillful accomplished or unaccomplished um, are to be seen in this light 
um, anicca anupassi. So anupassi means one it, anu is suffix meaning really in the presence of or along with, alongside, seeing alongside or seeing together with. So that quality of of witnessing or seeing goes right along with. It's not separate from. It goes right along with the 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 experience. And anicca nupassi, one is contemplating the wavering, inconstant nature of that experience right along with it as it's happening. Now, Vinicca impermanence. Um, how do we know something's impermanent? Because at the moment it's happening, it's not, it doesn't seem that it's going to end. You know, so but we can recognise that rather than seeing that this, you know, that this is something that comes and goes, which is true, but that you only know by hindsight, by inference. You know, because yesterday's mood came and went, it's probably likely today's mood came and went, will come and go. But actually, right now it's not going; it's here. <laughs> so that might be a nice kind of thing to hang on to uh, as an inference and probably will be true but even more to the point even when it's not doesn't seem to be passing or is, is right here it's got a wavering nature it pulses and throbs it, it surges and charges and that's, uh, that's, that, that's giving you a recognition of the energetic component mm. yeah. of it you know, the movement of it the flow of it, the throb of it. So this is like seeing energetic terms rather than in I don't like this or I do like this rather than in terms of, of Vedana, feeling or even tonality. You're looking at much more in terms of the energetic of that. Our normal response, you know, conventionally speaking, will be I like this experience, I don't like this experience. Very speaking very broadly, you know, I approve of this experience, I don't approve of it, uh, I feel comfortable with it, I understand it, I don't understand it, I don't feel comfortable with it, it's right, it's wrong, those kinds of, you know, takes on it. But when one's contemplating things in terms of energetics, it's not right or wrong, it doesn't have to be understood, it's not a matter of liking or disliking it, that, that's another frame of reference. But we can recognise it's of the nature to be wavering, pulsing, inconstant, changeable, mercurial. Um, and in that, uh, although the experience is still there, what's opening up is, a, is a, a, the ground of attention is opening up. So instead of that attention going into a reactive mode, it goes into a much more like the, what I saw in the kind of nursing mode, you know, opening up, oh, it's like this, there's no particular take on it, a view about it, apart from it's that. So it certainly is a purifier of views uh, in Nietzsche. And the views become kind of irrelevant really. So you do, by that, Nietzsche, it's, it's a radical filter, because uh, it remains something that you can use to to establish 
the right perspective on experience. It's it's a radical simplification, isn't it? Mm. Now it only establishes a perspective for insight, and then having established right perspective, having got one's feet on the ground again, if you like, then you know one's free to well this right either do this or don't do this or whatever you can act on that level again <coughs> viraga is the dispassion or um, you know so this is uh, something that maybe I encourage with is questioning you know what would it be like without this what would it be like if this wasn't here or alternatively something you know something one wants or needs to have or is right there in your mind kind of doing things to you just what would it be like without this so we're not it's not saying get rid of it it's like at that moment you can refer to a kind of you know something ground to put it in those terms a quality that's behind all that you know this came go and then you know basically you know (laughs) you know the thing comes and goes and there's a continuity or some kind of quality or or tonality that goes on beyond that we, we, you know, things arise and cease, and there we are again. You know, the thing that I was kind of really worked up about yesterday, and da 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 da. You know, well, here we are, another day, so on. So, you know, but, but being able to refer to that um, more, more immediately, in in situ, as it were. Welcoming things, welcoming the changeability of things, welcoming the arising of things. So we don't, um, we're able to have this quality of, of dispassion or mellowing out, you could say. One, once the tonality of the mind becomes more mellow, something comes up, that's no big thing. It's fine. You know, something passes away. It's no big thing. It's fine. You know, there's a quality of of um, this is viraga. So it's it's not a antiseptic state or a uh, you know dehydrated state. But actually, very something that can only occur through being really in contact with the, the feeling. As it is, and creating em- and this, this this generation of emotional space, emotional tonal spaciousness around what is being experienced. It's a connected space. Mm-hmm. So this is happening. You know, even when it's happening, even when I'm being upset, not trying not to be upset, feeling upset, just remembering 
what it'd be like, what it's like with if this wasn't here. Mm. You know. So we've got some. We're not. You know, the the what can occur, of course, on the emotional levels when an emotion takes charge, then what what is a particular point of experience becomes the totality of one's experience and it becomes the I am so, you know, an incident or an event occurs or something happens in your body or your mind or whatever and yeah, that's not very pleasant you don't like it, it's upsetting, distressing Uh, that's that but it, 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 it it's not held, it's not, doesn't say doesn't stay in that arena, it just comes from the whole, you know, what I am becomes that. And if that emotional charge is, is strong, it also says, I always was like this in the past. People always are like that. This place always is like this. You know? <laughs> and then it says, it always will be like this in the future. And I am like this in the future. And people are like that in the future. And this place is like this, will always be like this in the future. So it, it doesn't just take over present time. It, takes over all the space and time. Uh, so that's the, the kind of emotional overflow does that. This is very much associated with the experience of, of continuing self you know, at, at a fairly rudimentary or, or um, apparent level. You know, is, is, is an in, kind of a, a, an emotional experience or emotive experience. So Viraga helps us to you know, come out of that. Not to say that this particular event is not displeasing, but this is not doesn't have to be everything that I am. And then we've we've got the possibility then to contemplate it more with some equanimity. And very often it is just that um, sense of giving it emotional room that's all that's needed because it, it, it can arise and pass. It says what it needs to say. So we don't have to do anything particularly apart from generate the space that will allow something to throw up and pass on. Sometimes it is like a kind of emetic experience. But, you know, being a nurse, you don't mind this kind of thing. It's probably quite good getting a little bit of charge coming out there. You know, a bit of toxin being blown out. Uh, And it's, it's healthy because it certainly it helps to um, make one's sense of self a little less uh, rigid and defended and pompous and uh, fussy, you know. You realise you know, there's a lot of mess there actually and it's all right. That life is messy. Nibhidhar is, is the turning away 
or repelling, being repelled or being turned away um, from the those activities, those proliferations and involvements that uh, keep bringing us back into this you know, intense self-experience. This kind of this I'm calling calling this you know particularizing. So we get you know obsessed and fascinated with sense objects with mental objects, with attitudes, with views that become eventually part of what we are, what we seem to be or we're held by you know, my, my whatever it is, you know say morning cup of coffee, daily newspaper TV, that, 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 you know, kind of routines the one builds in that kind of help to keep me you know, in a boundary uh, and then of course it can be the, the kind of cycle of emotional states where one feels okay provided they're all in place or, or whatever you know. uh, and then seeing well you know this stuff actually seems fairly harmless particularly when it's ethically okay it seems very harmless. But how much of it is actually um, almost like a leech, you know, sucking up some of my potential. Some of me is held in my, in this, my habituations hold uh, a good amount of my energy. And... Um, I'm almost dispassionate towards that. You know, there's a sense of iraga towards uh, one's inner or outer habitual habits and strategies and systems and so forth. And the energies can be freed. And it's energy, not really actual substance, it's energy in a particular pattern that creates this sense of myself. So the energy can be quite tight, quite tightly configured. And then it needs to be stimulated to keep that particular configuration, keep one together. Um, So, you know, according to karma, it gets like that. I, you know, I know some people who who can, you know, psychologically I'm very challenged by more than a few moments of silence or inactivity nothing to do around here I imagine half an hour of not having anything to do would be really quite unbearable Um, their their energetic, their karma is quite densely configured you know, the karmic pattern is quite dense, so the energy doesn't have anything to, to lock into and do. It starts to get really um, agitated. Other people can find exactly the opposite. You know, I was the other way. Oh, busy morning. You know, I had to drink tea. I wash my cup, clean my teeth. God, it's been all a gold morning. You know. <laughs> there we go. Moments break around here. <laughs> 
Or what's likely is that one has all kinds of unconscious or unacknowledged habits going on that we don't even recognize we're doing, that's actually taking up a good amount of time. So one can barely take in any more, any more stuff because one's so full of, of the various things that give me a sense of reassurance. You know. People get into obsessive behavior. fiddling, fussing and then of course they're not able to have the emptiness and the openness to receive what's going on Nibhida is like that which, which is turning away from that charge experience intensity experience the the thrill of it, the uh, the uh, heldness of it, the way it holds us when we're intense. You know, something about us really likes heightened experience, um, and so that transfers maybe from unskillful to skillful, and it transfers maybe from sense objects to psychological, emotional states. See, so one can transfer that charge. You know, I imagine most of us. You know, have a work in this way, actually trying to transfer some of that. So it becomes more skillful. But the Nibhidha is quite more like actually learning that I don't really want to be, you know, intense. Uh, you know, actually just holds me into a, a quite a, a stressful pattern whereby it becomes less, one's less able to be open and easy with things. Uh, and, um, you know, so Nibhidha is actually recognizing the very heightening and intensifying experience is something we add or gets added to it, and that is a is a pollutant. Hmm. It's a strong word, but it certainly is a taint. It adds it adds a tint to things. Things don't by themselves don't have to be intense, heightened, charged, meaningful, important. Da, 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 da. And we make them so, you know, and yeah, I mean, is that so? But then, you know, this is say something that that is graduated, isn't it? You know, so we we first of all maybe that intensity goes into our, our, our sense of uh, dharma practice or morality or virtue or meditation. And then, you know, learning to calm, stabilize the mind. So instead of having those charges that, that hold us, we've got something that's much more sort of smoothed out that we can abide in. So it's just easefulness rather than intensity becomes our abiding place. And there's a graduated process of, of weaning oneself from the, the, the kick and the buzz of intensity. Um, and then, as I say, developing this quality of emot- emotional, emotive expansiveness um, again helps to helps to, to wean us of the charge. Uh, and the mind can become very uh, like space, open like space, mm. and. Uh, 
you know, we may think space is highly vulnerable, but actually space is, is our supreme uh, protector. Because although things may enter, anything that enters space finds nothing to land on. So, it's often our, our defense systems are studded with bullseyes. You know, something always has a something always has a go at one of one's defences. You know, so it's always kind of challenging my defence systems. When the idea, you know, they may be necessary for a while. The idea is to actually have space as one's protector rather than defence. You know, because things don't have to stick. And that's something that's really about working with one's own propensity to get wound up or to get frustrated or to get choked or to get um, heated. Mm. And then the vosagoro, which means abandonment, relinquishment, or sometimes pati nitsugo, pati is a strengthening suffix, means thoroughly, and nitsagi is something that at least the bhikkhus are familiar with, which was something to do with our sweets when we left them in our bags too long. Because <laughs> <laughs> I often forget about these things. So you have to give it up, forfeit it, and after seven days. Putting this means thoroughly, thoroughly, completely forfeiting, <laughs> giving it up. You know. So again, it's rather. Uh, kind of an emetic experience in some ways because you really are fried all. I think Ajahn Buddhadasa refers, calls it tossing it all back. Or, you know, like, and it's it's quite a vigorous term. When you niroda, stopping, actually just missed out. That, that, that occurs after viraga, nibbida. Niroda is the, is when that, the, the quality of the charging is, is stopped, you know. Uh, and so the sense of the mind is not going anywhere. The sankaras stop. And patinitsaga is, is actually the throwing back or the relinquishment of any kind of view that this stopped state is a state, you know, is oneself, if you see what I mean. Which, it, you know, I mean, this is not a intellectual deduction that occurs oh this is myself but it's a fe- it's a kind of feeling or a tendency to hold a tendency to want to rest and um, you know substantiate that particular quality <coughs> of stillness stopness <coughs> so throwing th- is like throwing it away throwing the stillness away this is you know uh, you imagine char sometimes is this when you have you got nothing left when you've got nothing left throw the nothing away um, this is the kind of the Zen style isn't it you know the uh, the stick the, uh, the paradox the you know the kick in the butt kind of thing <laughs> the, you know the uh, all of that uh, thinking in in Dzogchen teachings, they 
they use this experience too. It's, you know, when you make the mind comes completely quiet and still, you suddenly shout. You know, it shatters. You're holding to the stillness. So some kind of there's an energetic movement there uh, that that you know patinitsuga like throwing it away, jumping, a leap kind of experience. And how how we bring that around? Sometimes it's just done, can be done, um, questioning like who's this or what's this? It's a sudden sort of instead of just abiding in that, there's a you send a ripple like a charge through it. But it's not a compulsive, habitual charge. It's not part of one's self-circuitry. It's something that's um, spontaneous. That's why you can't really transmit it or learn it because it's a spontaneous thing. You know, you can't keep, this is something you build into your system. It has to be a spontaneous kind of sense of uh, this is to be, you know, the only th- this is to be given up. These are all, um, I think, in in the Sunyata Mahasunyata Sutta or the Chula, where the Buddha talks about the person who's developing um, emptiness and signlessness, and they get through these various layers of seeing, you know, emptiness based on knowing, you know, this is here and it's void of this, so. This is just the bell. It's not. There's nothing else there. And that gradually you reduce those kinds of resonances and attitudes uh, that that, cl- that get inferred onto objects until things are left just in their diamond clarity. And this is taken externally and then internally to 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 state of just of emptying out all those kinds of what it reminds me of and what I'd like to do with it and how it feels for me and gradually, you know, working through all this stuff so things are left alone. Um, and this is done both externally and internally on terms of the mind and the mental levels. So the person comes to this place of you know, signlessness, nothing actually like writing on water, nothing really retains uh, you know, a lasting impression is just things are melting, you know, things of no substantial. And then he says, and then he recognizes, yeah, but this state of signlessness is something that's been conditionally produced through my efforts. Therefore, you know, and he gives it up. It's just this. So that's that's an, that's what this kind of last level of insights about Patinitsuga is that giving that up not you know so it can go wrong as of course it you know it does in the or you know some of these one can see it going wrong or people can think take this at a much more simplistic level you know whereby you actually give up your practice so uh, you know I remember somebody saying that I had a teacher who told, said, you know, you're too attached to samatha, you should just watch television and drink beer to sort of, you know, break, to give it up, that kind of thing. Um, it certainly destroyed his samatha. But, 
you know, you can kind of see this uh, like a, a, a take it at the wrong level, really. So and it's easy to to you know do this, or kind of it's attractive, isn't it? The Zen clown, you know, who's not attached to precepts or um, burning Buddha roof and all this kind of thing. <coughs> you know, but <coughs> when it's really giving up what needs to be given up is questionable. Because um, you know, certainly in the Buddha's message, that, that giving up occurs at a very refined uh, you know, level. Uh, not not at a not at a conventional, mundane level, but a very kind of refined level experience, and it's to do with like a certain sort of, you know, like almost a judo throw occur can occur in the mind. Mm. But just to reel back a bit, mm. essentially, it's kind of looking around viraga. <coughs> And we can imagine, you know, sort of dispassion to be something rather, um, you know, like pickled, you know, like you're sort of not feeling anything. So, you know, the stereotype image of the perfect Theravadan is someone lives in a formaldehyde jar, you know, <laughs> completely disgusted with everything and not touched by anything, and he's sitting in his little pickled jar, like a pickled olive or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it, one doesn't sort of see that in the in what we can glean of the lives of the, the Buddha and his disciples. They're pretty vigorous um, and agile-minded people uh, living in a fairly rumbustious time with uh, um, good amount of stuff going on they had to connect to and relate to so but then what one does recognize you know in, in people who exemplify this is that sense of the non-reactiveness they don't get wound up I mean something I was my impressions of Ajahn Chah someone who could quite a huge amount of sense impact of people coming at him doing things you know wanting things wanting this, wanting that, you know, doing the various things that humans do, uh, and being able to kind of stay very light and kind and gentle and open to it, and, you know, and people playing games the way that people do, and you could see through that, and you kind of just say a few words that would just kind of push that one out of the way, and you could sort of seemingly do that in a way that was skillful. Like some people would get quite a bash and some people just get a slight pat, and some people kind of let play along for a little while because he felt he needed they needed that. But you could see that whatever it was, he wasn't coming from a kind of reactive space. It was, um, you know, there, there was breadth, a huge, huge emotional or emotive breadth, um, and that was something that you know one, one could. Recognized was very attractive because it was a seemed to represent something you felt you could you could your heart could rest in. It wasn't going to be bounced out or judged, and yet it wasn't uh, just a down mattress either. It was certainly 
you know, um, you, you, you knew you could be told what, what was necessary, but in a way that was manageable. The sense of, of dispassion then, you know, how to widen, emotionally widen around the experience that comes up. And in meditation, the likelihood is that because of the sense restraint and recognizing, as we do recognize the impermanence of our lives, what we touch and hold and see and think and feel, then the emotional charge that has been used up in establishing a sense of stability and permanence is suddenly liberated or freed from that. So it, it needs to go somewhere. And it often just runs around our bodies, or our, our minds, our hearts, trying to find you know, some way to, to, to discharge. And uh, so you're trying to say, well, stop it, calm down, calm down, calm down. No, it doesn't quite do it like that. You have to find, make a big enough space for that to find a place where it can discharge. This is Viraga. As you know, body and or this subtle body sense, somatic sense, and jitta and mind and heart are all interconnected. Sometimes that sense is almost like a physical sense, getting big enough. You know, feeling yourself you've got enough space in your own body. Your body feels too tight, compacted, dense, tense. You know, it doesn't help. So sometimes with this practicing viraga, it's necessary to get that sense of enough subtle body space, enough texture there to hold the charge that runs through. You know, this is why samatha, I feel, is really necessary because we can understand these things in principle and really wish to do it, but not have the resource that provides us with you know, where this stuff can run to. You can't rub energy out. You have to give it somewhere to release itself. Hmm? So that, you know, one thing is, that, is the subtle body state, stuff, subtle body texture or subtle body space. Hmm? Well, another thing, if you like, is one's attitude is to be based on on what Viragra is about, the the opening, the calming, the dispassion, the easefulness, the nursing, if you like, of experience, emotional experience. And then one's mental attitude, time, all the time, you know, the absence of judgment, the absence of view, letting go of the view, the judgment, analysis, the need to understand, uh, and so on. So, you know, three levels of that. So, somatic, emotive, and cognitive. Mm. And in the, when we find that, then in that place, something starts to mature and we don't build up that same charge again. There's a turning away from that. Mm -hmm. 
So as we practice in the day, it's important to, when spaces do occur, to not fill it up with things to do, things to be, things to remember, things to think about. Well, just, you know, walk, stand, walk around, look, hear, you just open the sense doors, uh, contemplate, um, feel, be with that energy and give it, give it a place to settle itself. And this is the, you know, the kind of like the possibility of a long retreat which is not in, intense in this way. And the system, your own system, will find its level and it has a way of healing that, that radically and organically affects changes in our personality that happens from, if you like, so it happens from underneath the personality rather than from a judgment of one's personality above it. It happens organically.